Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a Rabble Podcast Network show. New voices in your head. It's Radio Free Radio. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration and collaboration creates community and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Welcome to Face to Face. We are uh, in the middle of it already, and it's uh, not even 10:15 a.m. here in, in Toronto. And I uh, believe in uh, a part of the states. I'm not really sure where Brian is this morning, but let's get right to it. Our guest Brian McLaren uh, with us today. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Great to be with you as always, David. Thank, Thank you, you uh, so, uh, so much, much for taking the time. Uh, you must be you must be pretty busy right now. Are you? Um, I don't know. Are you you planning another fishing trip? Uh, you writing another book? What, what, what's going on over there in, in your world right now, Brian? Well, I just finished a book uh, called "We Make the Road by Walking" that will be out in June, um, June tenth. So I have, uh, you know, I've been focused on that. I've been traveling a whole lot, and uh, but I just got home at two o'clock this morning, and I've got uh, a couple weeks, and I am for sure going to get out on my little kayak and do a little fly fishing, see if I can catch a tarpon or a snook or two. A tarpon or a snook? I don't think I know either of those fish. they got to be pretty. They sound like big fish to me. They're fun. They're a lot of fun. And, you know, it'd be like a, 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 um, a pike or a muskie in Canada. Ah, very <laughs> good. Thank you. Have you done any fishing up here? Uh, a little bit. It's, But I'd love to someday. You know, I, I love the outdoors and uh, I... Uh, there's so much of Canada that I'd love to explore someday. Well, it's, I mean, from what I've heard, you know, just even an hour and a half north of Toronto, we got some crazy pike and, and musky fishing, and I've, I've yeah. certainly never done it. I've, I've caught a few pike over the years, but I've heard crazy things, and I've always had this fantasy of flying in a little Cessna somewhere way up north, you know, into this lake that I can't <laughs> and, and spending a day or two fishing for, like, the biggest fish you've ever seen, you know? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So do do our, our face-to-face podcast listeners get a special deal on We Make the Road by Walking, Brian? Well, we got to figure that out, David. We'll have to, <laughs> have to figure right. that out. Right. <laughs> have you had any feedback on the new book so far? Well, you know, it, it's an unusual book uh, in that 
it, you can read it from beginning to end like a, a, any uh, other book. But I set it up. It's 52 chapters, which are actually written to be read aloud in about 10 minutes. Wow. So my idea was that a, a little group of people could say, hey, let's have dinner every Tuesday night and you know, have some good food and some good wine and, and somebody can read a chapter and then there's dis- there are discussion questions. And, um, but then a couple of groups, I, I, I also I should say, I, I, I know some churches are interested in actually using it as their sermon for a year. Um, and then, uh, but, but several little groups like this have already used it and I got really good feedback. From them, it was sort of a field testing before I went public with him. So, why read aloud? Is that is that the poet in you coming to the surface? A little bit uh, of uh, of that, but also I just think the idea of people getting together to talk about something is really important. You know, I think adults learn more when they're talking than when they're listening, and uh, I think also the really important ideas in life are are ideas that in some ways only get texture and shape when they're dialogued about among a, a circle of friends and family and co-workers and so on. So, so I, I just am a big believer that an idea without a community is not nearly as val- valuable as a community grappling with ideas. I just finished teaching a course uh, last week uh, at Humber College in Toronto on on international development issues and tools and very small class. So it's, it's five days, eight hours a day, um, and six students. So that's difficult. I mean, it's a seminar basically you got going on and I've, I've done this for five or six years and I'm not a PowerPoint guy and I can sort of do the lecture and just continuously chat for 90 minutes at the board but instead I've really consciously taken the more of the kind of the master class approach with you know we don't sit in a circle but very inclusive and very dialogue driven and um, you know you always wonder if that's the way to go or not or, or gee you know are these students really do they just want the PowerPoint slides do they, you know and so one of the exercises we do Brian is we, we talk about what's development and so we've got six people in this room two of them claim they know nothing about development One's an accountant and one's in, in media, but they've got this idea that they want to change the world. Well, isn't that wonderful? Thanks for coming. And okay, so let's, you know, we're an hour in. Let's have this conversation around what development is. And so all of a sudden we start unpacking things like, well, it's about relationships and it's about sustainability and there's the environment and so on. And we spend a good 90 minutes on that. And then I go to the OECD definition of development. Mm-hmm. And I point to the board and I say, isn't this far better? isn't this a way richer understanding and you guys told me two hours ago that you knew nothing about development and so i'm I'm, you know i'm drawing it out of their experience and so on and and so i guess i'm just launching off that whole idea idea of of you know adults learn when they're when they're when they're talking i think i just have a ton of evidence again for that just even in the last week um um, and yet, would you agree, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, our culture isn't set up that way. I mean, it seems to me our, our schools, my son is, is eight, my daughter is six, this is not how they learn. This is not how children are being uh, raised. It, yeah. I, I don't think. I don't want to sound like an, an old fart, but I, maybe I am. Well, uh, I, think, uh, I think we're moving in this direction, but certain institutions are a lot slower to uh, embrace it than others. One of them being public schools, and one of them being churches. Right, right. Uh, I, I, even universities. You know, it's surprising how many you know universities you, you could 
find that the professor has a set of notes that he's been using for 15 or 20 years and he might make small tweaks on them but you know it's just uh, it, it, figuring out why getting people together uh, to hear the same information that could be presented in a hundred different ways to me that's you know th there's a, a huge opportunity cost there and the same thing happens in churches but I think the more in some ways the more seriously we take the information you know if it's if, if we're looking for a phone number big deal but the more seriously we take the information. I think the more important it is that we actually interact about it, and and that's where when you think something like Facebook and social media. I mean, that really is about getting people engaged with each other for better and for worse. I, one of the things we see, you know, if you look at comments comment sections online, is how few people know how to disagree agreeably. How few how few <laughs> right. people uh, know how to do anything other than just go from zero to a hundred on the conflict meter, you know. The best but, way, yeah, the best way to respond on Facebook is to propositionally give somebody the finger, right? That, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and to shout and to, and to, and to use exclamation marks and capitals. That's interesting, Brian. Yeah. Um, why, why do you think that is? Is it, is it, is it, a, is, it, is, it a, is it something to do about the art of conversation or is it that, uh, an, anonymity or, or, or what's your sense? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think uh, all of the above, but I, I think in some ways the human species is at a different point in evolution, and these are just skills that we didn't need so much anymore. You know, in, in, in the old days when a, a little tribe of hunter-gatherers lived together, all their interests were very intertwined. Uh, there was a clear chief or, or chieftain who, who everyone followed, and uh, difference of opinion was probably a, a, a threat to survival. Um, and, and then you get to today's world where suddenly all those tribes are mashed together. Suddenly we face common threats to our survival and we have competing interests among our different tribes and, and, and we're mashed together and have to talk. So, you know, it, it's, it's not, I don't think it's that we're being lazy. I think that we're we're faced with new challenges at, in, in, uh, at a new level, and now is our time. We have to develop these capacities. Brian, there's something to me that's really, I think, anyway, uh, I love the conversation. I love the dialogue. As much as I might um, um, not be comfortable with uncertainty, I do love it in a relational setting. Yeah. Uh, I think in a, a book or two ago that you, you, you wrote, you talked about when you do talks, you no longer give question and answer or you no longer entertain question and answer sessions, but you talk about question and response um, sessions. Do you think that the university prof, who's you know using the same twenty-year-old notes, and do you think the pastor and my kindergarten, my kid's kindergarten teacher, do you think they're not open to dialogue or open to you know uh, conversation because it's kind of risky? And, and, you know, maybe I won't be able to answer my, you know, <laughs> that question. And so your notion of Q&R, this, hey, guys, I haven't got it all sorted out either. You know, yeah, yeah I write a lot of books and, and I, you know, and I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I seem yeah. to be really smart. And by the way, I think you are. Um, but I haven't got it all sorted out. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that, uh, David. I, I also, I'll tell you my experience when I, I do a lot of lecturing. This just happened yesterday. Uh, and I love to do open it up for questions, and 
Uh, but very, very often, I can instantly tell that the person who's asking the question is working from a different paradigm or a different mental model or a different mm. sort of uh, intellectual map than I am. And, and this is one of the reasons I can't just give an answer because uh, if they're asking the question within a certain paradigm or universe, um, I, I can't actually answer the question to their satisfaction without entering into their universe. And if part of what I'm trying to do is get people to consider moving into a different universe, <laughs> yeah. then w I don't want to answer the question in their box, so to speak. Um, but I want to respond to it in a way that maybe will help them imagine a little window in their box or a little door in their box and see that there's a bigger world outside. And of course, uh, you know, it, it goes all different ways. But I, I used to resent that. I, I can think back to several pivotal moments in my own uh, intellectual and spiritual and moral development when I encountered someone who was outside my box. Right. And it frustrated me. My, my first thought is to say, they're wrong. But what I started, you know, on some intuitive level, I could tell it's not that they're giving the wrong answer to my question. It's that they're asking a different question right. entirely. And I don't even get what that is, you know. Well, it's so much, it's so much about, it seems to me, about presupposition and worldview and, and, and like you said, model map and paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you find, uh, I mean, are you hopeful um, as you continue to write and, and think and, and speak, are do you, do you see those windows appearing a little bit more than maybe you used to ten or fifteen years ago? Well, I'll, I'll tell you uh, something I've experienced very directly that uh, gives me a lot of hope. Uh, two things: one is that uh, when you're in a community, and this is very true in religious communities, but I think it would be true in a scientific discipline. You know, there are just certain questions that can't be asked, or certain approaches that can't be taken. Um, certain projects that are not fundable. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, in the early stages when somebody raises new questions that are outside the box, they often are punished um, mm. <laughs> in various ways. But if just a few people are willing to stand up to the punishment and respond graciously but without, without deferring and complying, so sort of this, this mixture of courage and grace um, when that happens, other people suddenly are liberated. They can then ask those questions, mm -hmm. and um, and that really does open up space. So that's the first thing I'd say is that there really is, when people are given a portal into a more spacious place, uh, I think many, many of them want to take it. Um, the, but the second thing is that we're all living, uh, I, of course, you as a philosopher know, there's an awful lot of philosophical uh, uh, baggage to unpack here, mm -hmm. but we're living in the same external reality that has ways of impinging upon all of our little systems. And so, you know, the fact that we've all got to deal with global climate change, uh, whether we believe in it or not, or not right now, um, the fact that we've got to live in a world with weapons of mass destruction, the fact that uh, we are grappling with economic systems that, that are rigged to favor the super elite, you know, those realities affect all of us. And in some ways, force us to, we, we have to communicate. We, we can't afford to just keep retreating into our little ghettos because those realities, the, the sea level will, uh, will get us all very wet. 
What do you think about, um, I love your, your notion of a mixture of, of courage and grace, and I think uh, from, from what I know about you and the, the, uh, the, re the reading of your work that I've done over the years is you, you really are trying to shift the conversation. So here we got the, a pastor who went through a huge shift and a teacher and a lecturer and so on, trying to kind of almost recenter the conversation uh, and, and, and reframe the questions that are being asked. Um, that's sort of the preamble to how do you have a new conversation about religion? How do you have a new conversation about Christianity or about, you know, notions of courage and grace when we're still, it seems, dealing with uh, what you would have probably called maybe in your latest book, you know, the Christopher Columbus approach. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. In fact, you know what, Brian? I'm going to do it. I, I wasn't going to read it, but I am, and I've got it open up right here. Um, quote, in seeking to strike a healthy and honest balance in telling our history, I'm convinced, that's Brian, by the way, for our listeners, that we Christians, Western Christians in particular, must acknowledge the degree which our faith has become a syncretized faith, compromised faith. We might even say a corrupted faith. From Constantine to Columbus to the other conquistadors to the colonizers to the present, we have mixed authentically Christian elements of love, joy, peace, and reconciliation with strictly imperial elements of superiority, conquest, domination, and hostility, close quote. Um, I was trying to think of something funny to say there, Brian, and I couldn't, couldn't think of it, because that's, that's a pretty serious little passage you got there. And, 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 and so here we are, you know, so, so we've got all this Hmm, shit, all this baggage, all this nonsense for the past, you know, so many years that cultures around the world are dealing with, not only from a Christian perspective, but a religious perspective as well. And so when you or I or anyone else says, well, hang on a second here, you know, uh, the God that you're talking about over there on that side, Mr. Dawkins, or, you know, if we want to take an extreme example, a Richard Dawkins or a Sam Harris or somebody like that. Yeah, you know what? I don't believe in that either. You know, yeah. how do you yeah. find that, you know, and, and, and I want to get a little bit more to your book about, by the way, uh, the book I, I just read from is uh, Brian's last book, or maybe second last book, Why Did Jesus, Moses, the Buddha, and Muhammad Cross the Road? Highly recommend it. Um, and you can get it, uh, I believe, online uh, through Jericho Books, probably at Amazon as well. Sure. Yeah. So, Brian, there's probably 15 questions in there, and I, <laughs> I apologize for that. Yeah. But but I think, you know, to, to, to go back to your idea of map and framework and so on. If we're not on the same page, what the heck are we going to yeah. do? Yeah. Well, uh, a couple things uh, about that. Obviously, this is one of the most important questions we could ever talk about, David, and it's one that I care about a whole lot. Indeed, so, yep. Uh, but the first thing I would say is um, uh, we, we should first recognize that uh, this is not just a problem in Christianity. Um, you know, uh, since I wrote that book, Why Did Jesus, Moses, Buddha, Muhammad Cross the Road?, I've been contacted by so many people of different religions who've said, hey, nice to see you Christians dealing with your issues. Um, we've got our issues too. And, and so there are parallel conversations happening in Islam and in Judaism and its many forms. And um, it's even interesting to hear, you know, Buddhists are having some big struggles in different parts of the world, realizing that, trying to figure out what's the essence of Buddhism uh, and what is uh, and what is less and less helpful as we move forward. So, it, it's uh, it, this is a global problem that has to do with uh, and a global challenge and opportunity that has to do with a rapidly changing world. Um, uh, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu 
uh, uh, or Jewish, uh, you've got to, you suddenly find yourself living in a world of general relativity, quantum theory, uh, you know, it's it, it, a world of an expanding universe of billions of galaxies at 14.7 billion years old. Everybody is trying to come to terms with living in the same universe, even though we have these very different uh, languages and, and what uh, uh, some philosophers call imaginaries, meaning a system uh, of images in which we live. And, and that's one of the reasons why discussions about God are so uh, both significant and maddening. We aren't just talking about some invisible friend or invisible king living somewhere. When we're talking about God, we're rendering a universe. We're, our discussions about God are always discussions about the universe, creation, what's real, what matters. And that's why they're so fraught and so conflicted and yet so inescapable and important. And um, uh, so, you know, to me, it, it can be disconcerting. But in another way, it's absolutely predictable. Mm. I, I, love, I love what, uh, there's a Catholic uh, uh, thinker uh, who died some years ago named Vincent Donovan. And Vincent said, um, in times of rapid change, you can be sure that religious people will be among those most passionately clinging to their institutions and in the past. You know? <laughs> um, he said, but... Uh, they, there will also be among religious people sort of the, the visionaries and, and the, the mystics and, and the deeper thinkers who are those who are most open to receiving, you know, the, the new opportunities that present themselves. And uh, so that to me is, is what's so exciting about it. Uh, and, and, uh, and it is difficult, but this is where you need a few people uh, who have a whole lot of courage at the beginning. I mean, 100, 500 years ago, they would have been thrown in jail, banished, mm -hmm. maybe yep. even tortured and killed. Now they might just have a, a bunch of nasty blog posts written about them, so we can't really complain. Um, but uh, uh, a few people at the beginning, it takes a lot of courage. But then more and more people come on board, and it takes less and less courage. That doesn't mean the work is over. Uh, but then the the, the focus can be less on fighting with the uh, gatekeepers of the status quo, and the focus, focus can be on the creative work of saying, okay, how are we going to talk about meaning and purpose and the ultimate realities and morality and, and uh, the, the ethical summons that life, uh, that life presents to us? Do you, do you think that it could be helpful to talk more about, uh, uh, you know, a God hypothesis, or uh, could it be helpful to talk about a creator versus just this idea of God, uh, whether you're yes. a, a Muslim or a Jew or a Buddhist? Um, well, Buddhists don't, I suppose, believe in uh, any kind of traditional God in that sense. But just because of the baggage, because of folks, it's see seemingly inability to get beyond what used to be. You know, yeah. so yeah. I, I think, I don't know uh, if you and I have had this conversation in the past, but, you know, a few years ago, Philip Pullman stuff, the Golden Compass and so on that came out yeah. and, the, and the Catholics got all upset about it and lots of, I'm sure, conservative Christians and people were picketing and so on. And I remember getting into a conversation in, uh, with somebody and, and, and I read the books and, and you know, uh, this, this main character wants to kill the authority and the authority's yeah. God. And so isn't this horrible? And we've got to pick at this. And I kind of, I read the books and I, I remember saying to Elizabeth, I'd, I'd kill the god too 
Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be the one conspiring against it, yes, this yes. being. So yes. if that's the state of affairs we're in, then do we need to come up with a, like some you know new language, Brian? Like I'm actually uh, thinking of writing an essay called "Why I Am No Longer a Christian," and yeah. you know I've started making because I don't want to be like uh, I'm. Ju- you don't need to push me out of the boat, guys. I'm jumping out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's, uh, I, I, obviously, I don't think there's a single right answer to that. For, for over 100 years, people have been grappling with this. And you, you read some writers who, they don't want to use the word God because that evokes an old man with a white beard who throws thunderbolts. I mean, it's a lot more like Thor or Zeus, you know, but right. it, somehow it's still deeply embedded in Christian thought. Uh, uh, and so they would use words like the divine, or, or you know, Paul Tillich came up with an interesting term, the ground of being. He, he didn't want to talk about a supreme being. He wanted to say that whatever God is, God can't be just one being alongside all the others. Um, God must be being itself. And, and so there have been a lot of attempts to, to talk about, to, to find language, to, to jar God out. Of the uh, of some of these uh, problematic images, um, but here's the problem. I think David is when you start using a different language, then the people who still use that language have no idea. They don't talk to you anymore because you're not really talking to them anymore. And mm-hmm. so I, I I'm not criticizing people who take that route, but there's a cost to taking that route. So what I think we need is uh, in, in academics, we call it meta-discourse. It's, it's saying, we're not just going to talk about the government. We're going to talk about how we talk about the government. We're not just going to talk about social media. We're going to talk about how we talk about social media. So that, that means we're not just going to talk about God. We're going to talk about how we talk about God. We're going to take a mm-hmm. step back. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a very, very exciting and important discussion. You know, uh, Rob Bell wrote a book about this recently, um, what is it? What we speak of when we speak of God. Right. Uh, uh, f- another friend of mine, Peter Rollins, wrote a book some years ago called How Not to Speak of God. Um, a great philosopher who does a lot of work in this is Richard Carney. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I read a, a really interesting article by a guy named Michael Epstein. And he was one of the, he was talking about theism in post Soviet Russia. And he, he, said, um, he said, you know, before the Soviets, you had Russian Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Then you had official state-sanctioned atheism. And when the state no longer sanctions atheism, he said, will people go back to the old Eastern Orthodoxy? Do they welcome in New Age or Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever? And he wrote very interestingly about the, this, this struggle to find a new way of talking about God after atheism. And uh, one of the, his, his reflections was to say, in the past we always talked about God as the one who speaks and reveals and gives laws and so on. He said, I wonder in today's world if we don't need to speak about God as the one who listens, as the, as the witness to what happens. Well, suddenly, just opening that idea up is... Uh, you know, that, I, I remember reading that, and I just felt like a, a little hole got punched in my roof, and a little more light came. <laughs> right. So, 
Very nice. Yeah. Do you find, you know, that's, that's, I love that image. Uh, Diane Ackerman, I think in, in a natural history of the senses talks about, you know, the purpose of art being to shine light in the darkness. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's kind of where you're at uh, today with some of these bigger questions, you know, these darker threads, as you've called them in history, um, if you can shine a little light, if you can peel back a little yeah. bit, uh, uh, you know, you're not going to turn it all upside down overnight. Um, you know, we won't know if we're in the middle of a reformation for a reformation for another couple hundred years, probably. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's so, right. is that yeah. kind of, is it? Would you say that's where you're at today? Well, I think all of us who care about these things, we do everything we can, and and we, I think, all have a whole lot of passion. I mean, we don't want to go running down the street with sandwich boards and repent signs. But, <laughs> that's right. But, but but we feel a little bit like that sometimes. We feel like you know, if, if you want an apocalyptic reality, just look at, at what's going on in our world today. But um, we also want to be purveyors of hope and inspiration, and open up those little. Uh, uh, places where some light can stream in. Um, but what is so absolutely encouraging uh, about all this is you, you start doing it, and then people start showing up and saying, I've been thinking about the same thing. Right, and right. Uh, I, You know, I, I was asked to lecture uh, a couple of months ago at something called the Center for Muslim Christian Understanding. Hmm. And... Um, and it was a really great day of uh, it was just lectures from day, from morning to night, and a couple of them were a little long, but most of them were just so fascinating. And it turned out that when I had to go to the airport to go home afterwards, uh, a Muslim, uh, a fellow from South Africa, happened to be in the airport, and it's and I had thought his lecture was just brilliant. And the two of us sat in the airport. We almost were like ready to just miss our planes because right. the, the chance to talk. And we That's were talking so and we were talking about God. We were talking about what we mean when we say the word God. And he was talking about the struggles with that in Islam. I was talking about the struggles with it in Christianity. And what to me is kind of exciting is the uh, wouldn't it be interesting if these struggles to, to, in meta discourse, these struggles that they aren't just challenging what we believe. They're challenging our whole set of images that frame how we believe. It, it's, it's challenging the tools by which we believe, if I can say it that way. Right. Um, wouldn't it be interesting if that forced us into this larger conversation? And, and this is why, um, you know, if, if you want to say you're no longer a Christian, that's fine. But this is one of the reasons I continue to uh, identify myself as a Christian is because I think there are incredible treasures in the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of bozos doing all kinds of pathetic and ridiculous and counterproductive things. But guess what? There are some atheist bozos and, you know, I mean, there's bozos everywhere. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. uh, But there are really great treasures in the Christian tradition. And I, I want to be among many who try to find those traditions, cherish them, and then bring them as gifts to other people. And, and then I want my Muslim neighbors to be doing the same. I want them to find the treasures because we all know there's a lot of nutcases in the Islamic world. But we want the, the, the Muslims who we can trust to find those treasures. And I want to hear them, you know. And it's something I love about my Buddhist friends uh, all the way back to when I was in high school and, and, you know, back in the 60s and early 70s when a lot of people were exploring Buddhism. The great thing about my Buddhist friends is they'd always like to tell me the latest nugget of insight they got in Buddhism 
but they never were trying to make me be a Buddhist. They right. were willing to right. share their Buddhist treasures with me, right. uh, whether or not I was a Buddhist. And that's the spirit I hope we can have. We find our treasures and we bring them to each other because I think um, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> I, um, I think the title of your next book should be Why I Don't Wear a Sandwich Board. <laughs> okay. Can you can you write that down, Brian, for me? I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I can see the uh, I can see the uh, the design work already. I think on I the, can too on, on the front of the cover. So okay, so let's ask a bigger question. Um, why God? Like yeah. for you? I mean, obviously it's a part of your upbringing and you're a pastor and a huge tradition and so on. But you know, the atheist on the other side of this conversation says, "Yeah, but why, why do you need any of that, Brian? I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's it's." Why do you, you know? Why didn't you and the the Muslim, uh, the guy from South Africa, why didn't you talk about something else? Why didn't you just talk yeah. about you know this you know celebratory notion of of love and and, and embrace and community? Why why do you need to yeah. why do you need to ruin everything and throw God into it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Um, I mean, David, you you can ask that question very simply, but as you know, it's it's a whole lot of people are grappling with that. A, a good friend of mine who's a well-known Christian leader, um, he, you know, we were together a couple months ago. He says, yeah, you know, I've pretty much just thrown out the whole idea of God. Now I'm done with wow. it. Wow. And, um, and this is uh, a guy who, like, grew up in the tradition and... Yeah, I, I won't mention his name yeah, out of respect sure. for him, but, but, um, but what was interesting is, and of course I understand that, because yeah. Yeah. often people in the religious world see so much hypocrisy and so much craziness. They see how money really pulls way more strings than love does very often, and, and pride and greed and all the rest. But, um, uh, but he, he, you know, he, he was saying, I'm, I, I'm just tired of fighting about that word. And, but what was interesting is, he wasn't saying, so I think life is just a meaningless pile of crap and we're just a bunch of fermenting little cellular material that's eventually going to uh, decompose and, and, and the whole thing will blow up in, uh, when the sun goes supernova and it doesn't really matter at all. You know? it, so, in fact, what he was saying is, I think there is a stream of purpose and direction and meaning and goodness that is very, very intrinsic in the universe. And I think all this talk of God distracts us from it. Uh, and I just want to focus on that essence without all the distraction. Well, here's, the, you know, and of course he knew what I was going to say. I was going to say, yeah, but I think that's what God really is. <laughs> you know, yeah, that other, yeah. that, that pearl of great price that you found, that precious thing that you don't want to be distracted from. The irony is, I think that's what God really is. And, and here's what's sort of strange. Uh, uh, when you think about the ancient Hebrew uh, uh, passion against idols, we don't want to put God into rock. We don't want to ever make an image of God. We don't even want to write the name of God down. Um, and in fact, in some Jewish and other religious traditions, we don't even want to say the G word. Right. We'll talk about, um, you know, the the uh, the creator, the the uh, one, the whatever, you know, the divine. Um, uh, but th that resistance to ever letting God be concretized too much, I think, is an attempt to acknowledge that God is always whatever God is is never contained in our box. If you if you think about 
religion and theology as the construction of boxes to contain God, uh, there is a point you get to in the religious world. And they often call these people mystics or contemplatives. But it's when people say, I love my tradition because it gave me all of these boxes that I know God is outside of. (laughs) And and they, they, they love the tradition because it disciplined them to focus their attention in the direction of this great mysterious reality. In the Christian tradition, as you know, we we talk about this in terms of uh, two very technical words, but they're kind of nice words to know. There's the the cataphatic uh, tradition and the apophatic tradition. And the cataphatic tradition is the one that said we, we can talk about God, we can have doctrines about God, we can have images for God, we can discuss God, we can even try to define God maybe. But then the apophatic tradition comes along and says, are you crazy? God is always bigger and greater and deeper and our minds are so tiny and our language is so limited. Uh, and, and that dynamic tension between those two, it seems to me, is what keeps us going, and and that's what I'd like to, you know, I, I hope I can live in that in that both end tension. Don't you think, though, Brian? I mean, I love all of what you've just said, but don't you think we? And and I was going to say the West, and I'm I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say human beings. I mean, you know, part of the liability of being human is is the box. It seems to me is yeah. the the mathematical equation. I mean, I've, yeah. I I bring this up. I've brought this up many times in past conversations. It's a, an old film, not a great film, called The Prophecy with Chris, Christopher Walken, and he plays, I believe, Angel Gabriel, and he's sitting on the step smoking a cigarette, and there's a bunch of kids around him, and he's got to leave in a hurry, and I think he's been chatting with these kids, and in a Christopher Walken kind of way, he says, study your mathematics, kids. It's the key to the universe. And, <laughs> and, and off he goes. And I've yeah. never forgotten that. I've forgotten the movie, but I've never forgotten that scene. And yeah. I think... I think that's. I mean, I'm sorry, but I think Chris and I think the Gabriel, angel Gabriel in this case were wrong. You know, yeah. I, I don't. You know, and 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 in a way, it seems that that's kind of what we're fighting against. You know, we yeah. we we love the narrative solution, isn't it? You know, the movies that make the most money are the ones that resolve, and yeah. and and so on and so on and so on. And I see this in my kids. I see it in kindergarten. I see it at Cub Scouts and, and in music, and and it just the list goes on. And so, you know, I don't like the phrase "that's how we're wired," but it almost yeah. seems like it in a way. You know, yeah. it's, you know, almost seems like it in a way. So, um, um, yeah. Well, you know, an analogy comes to mind. So I was a little kid and I took piano lessons and I learned how to do all the arpeggios and the scales and I learned the theory um, and I I played classical music in my recitals. um, uh, And that was the box in a sense. And of course, there's great Mm -hmm. beauty in in all of that. Um, But then later I picked up the saxophone and I became hugely interested in in jazz and uh, and suddenly you realize that all of those rules that you learned in classical now make possible this thing called improvisation, you know? Right. And, and then you find out there's this thing called rock and roll and all the rest. And, and so I, I think this is one of those both-and things. You know what? Mathematics are really important. But it would be, almost be fun to take that scene from that movie and then replay it in a few different ways. Like you could imagine the older guy saying, Follow the wonder, kids. It's the key to the universe. The or the universe. Yeah. Uh, focus on love, kids. It's the key to the universe. And, right. and this to me is the audacious claim that, that the Christian faith at its best makes, that it's, it's follow the love, kids. 
it's the key to the universe. It's, it's not follow domination, kids. Follow compliance, kids. Follow, you know, uh, uh, keeping your head down and doing what you're told, kids. It, it's follow love, even if that means you have to stand up against the religious and political authorities of the day, even if it means you have to offer yourself uh, to, and, and give up your life for love uh, and, and peace and reconciliation and so on. Man, that's a pretty compelling message. Now, I think we have to acknowledge it might be untrue. You know, in the end, it might be that's just a nice pipe dream, but the only thing that really matters is making sure your sperm gets connected to enough eggs that some kind of biological process continues. And it really doesn't, and that doesn't really matter in the end either because it's all going to be incinerated in a supernova and no one will ever know that DNA ever existed. You know, so, uh, you know, there are alternative ways of looking at the big picture, but this is what remains, uh, remains compelling to me in spite of all of the slime that you have to root through looking for yeah. a, a diamond sometimes. It's like, it's like what is it, that, that 400 feet of shit pipe in Shawshank Redemption that, <laughs> that right. Tim Robbins has to crawl through, right, to get that's to right. the other end. And what I love about that scene, Brian, is he pops out at the end and he stands up and it's pouring rain. <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, not, you know, it's not a beautiful sunny day. Yeah, yeah, you just you just piled out of that pipe, and you're 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 in the, you're in the middle of a storm. Um, <laughs> uh, we believe it or not, we've got to kind of wrap up shortly, and and I really do want to uh, thank you again for all your time today. But uh, here, I'm going to just throw out a real simple question for you: Is 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 the is it? Are we all kind of looking towards the same God? So if we can, if we can, if we can agree that you know the best part of the box is that we can step outside of it, it with the say the Buddhist and the Muslim and the the Jew and and the Hindu in the room and the Christian in the room, are we all ultimately kind of in your mind looking towards the same source of light? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting when I, I wrote this book, uh, "We Make the Road by Walking." I I was really trying to to get to the essence or the heart or that essential treasure, you know, in, in Christian faith. And um, and uh, the, there were a couple of words that ended up becoming really important uh, in, in the book. And one of them was the word aliveness. Hmm. And I, I use that word because, uh, I, you know, when you just say life, uh, it doesn't catch it sometimes. I, I actually think that the term that's very important in the Gospels, eternal life, doesn't mean a length of life that continues after death. I think it means this deeper, fuller aliveness. It's called in the, in the New Testament once abundant life or life to the full or, uh, or overflowing life, that kind of a thing. I, I think that at our best, uh, even at our worst, what we're looking for is aliveness. And aliveness is so precious that sometimes people become heroin addicts because they're seeking aliveness and they find a really destructive way of seeking aliveness, you know. Uh, fundamentalist religion is, is a way of seeking aliveness and it ends up hurting a lot of people right. in, in the pursuit. But the aliveness is, is the, the treasure. That's, that's one word. Then the other word that I became intrigued with is the word at the beginning of the Gospel of John, which is the word logos. Mm-hmm. This idea... That it, isn't it's a stunning statement. In the beginning was the logos, um, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Well, that's a pretty amazing thing to do with logos. Now, I think what John is doing is taking that Greek term uh, 
And I don't think he's putting what he understands Jesus to be teaching into the box of the Greek logos. I think he's throwing that logos out. He's saying, there's a way better logos. There's a way better logic or pattern or arc or meaning or shape or grain to the universe. And, and that's what we're seeking. And um, so, yeah, I think in, in, in a real way that that's what we're all seeking. Um, wasn't the Logos the name of the ship in the Matrix? I forgot about that. That might that might be true. I, I think it. I think it is. Um, listen, I uh, I could spend another two and a half hours with you uh, on this topic without uh, missing uh, a beat or even stopping for a pee break or another coffee. <laughs> so I we, feel the same way. Oh, I, what what could be better to talk about than this? You know? I know it's fantastic. I uh, yeah, it really is great. So thanks so much, Brian. Um, I gotta say, uh, why did Jesus, Moses, the the Buddha, and Muhammad cross the road was a delightful read. Uh, I've read lots of uh, of your stuff and continue to enjoy it. I, I hope uh, some of our listeners will do the same. Uh, Brian McLaren, uh, that's brianmclaren.net, by the way. Uh, check out his site. He's got a terrific blog, lots of links and wonderful things going on. And, of course, his new book, We Make the Road by Walking. Um, you know, my line, I keep saying this on most of my podcasts, and one of these days I'm just going to come up with it, Brian, but I'm trying to find a, a way to end my podcast. Kind of like, you know, uh, what's his name used to say, with good night and good luck, you know? And, yeah. and, and my line is going to be something like, boy, there's more going on here than meets the eye. And uh, something along those lines, because I feel like, you know, we've, we, again, once again, we've barely scratched the surface. So Brian McLaren uh, joining us today, brianmclaren.net. Make sure you uh, check out his site, his new book, uh, we make the road uh, by walking uh, and also uh, why did Jesus Moses the, Bu- the Buddha and Muhammad cross the road a delightful terrific read that you really need to to access thanks again for joining us today Brian I uh, you know uh, we just you know barely scratching the surface so hopefully we'll be able to get to do this again one day soon thanks I, I look forward to it thanks for Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.